Hello and welcome to Pulp Today. I'm in this gray suit, which means I'm still going to talk about Raymond Chandler a little bit more. When I was reading uh, Simple Art of Murder, last time I talked about Chandler, it struck me that the phrase, I think he might seduce a duchess and I'm quite sure he would not spoil a virgin, was kind of interesting because the other two quotes were both, the other two things I wanted to read were both about uh, his relationships with a couple of very different women. I will say that I looked at my shelves and apparently I no longer have my copy of uh, The Long Goodbye, which is like literally one of my five or ten favorite novels. Uh, I have a very bad habit of giving away my favorite novels, so I can't remember who I gave The Long Goodbye to. But apparently i got to get another copy. Sometimes I actually, when I'm in a used bookstore and I see one of my favorite books, I buy it, even if I have a copy, because I will inevitably give it away. So, Duchesses and Virgins. I want to read from The Big Sleep. Amy Mann, my favorite singer-songwriters, one of the most talented living American singer-songwriters, did a great uh, little hat tip in her song um, on the album Mental Illness. Uh, Carmen Sternwood probably pulled that trigger for fun, which is a spoiler for The Big Sleep. Sorry about that. Hmm. Uh, uh, but Carmen Sternwood, here's Philip Marlowe, Private Eye, who is, I should mention, described as tall, built like a linebacker. Built, sorry, I always thought like Nick Nolte in his prime is what, uh, is how Raymond Chandler describes uh, Marlowe. He goes to the house of the very rich General Sternwood. He's waiting in the lobby when a girl walks in. She was 20 or so, small and delicately put together, but she looked durable. She wore pale blue slacks, that, and they looked well on her. She walked as if she were floating. Her hair was a fine, tawny wave cut, much shorter than the current fashion of pageboy tresses curled in at the bottom. Her eyes were slate gray, and had almost no expression when they looked at me. She came over near me and smiled with her mouth, and she had little sharp, predatory teeth, as white as fresh orange pith and as shiny as porcelain. They glistened between her thin, too taut lips. Her face lacked color and didn't look too healthy. Tall, aren't you? she said. I didn't mean to be. Her eyes rounded. She was puzzled. She was thinking. I could see, even on short acquaintance, that thinking was always going to be a bother to her. Handsome, too, she said, and I bet you know it. I grunted. What's your name? Riley, I said. Doghouse Riley. That's a funny name. She bit her lip and turned her head a little and looked at me along her eyes. Then she lowered her lashes until they almost cuddled her cheeks and slowly raised them again like a theater curtain. I was to get to know that trick. That was supposed to make me roll over on my back with all four paws in the air. Are you a prize fighter? she asked. When I didn't? Not exactly. I'm a sleuth. Uh, uh. She tossed her head angrily, and the rich color of it glistened in the rather dim light of the big hall. You're making fun of me. Uh-huh. What? Get on with you, I said. You heard me. You didn't say anything. You're just a big tease. She put up a thumb and bit it. It was a curiously shaped thumb, thin and narrow like an extra finger with no curve at the first joint. She bit it and sucked it slowly, turning it around in her mouth like a baby with a comforter. You're awfully tall, she said. Then she giggled with secret merriment. Then she turned her body slowly and lithely without lifting her feet, 
Her hands dropped limp to her sides. She tilted herself towards me on her toes. She fell straight back into my arms. I had to catch her or let her crack her head on the tessellated floor. I caught her under her arms, and she went rubber-legged on me instantly. I had to hold her close to hold her up. When her head was against my chest, she screwed it around and giggled at me. You're cute, she giggled. I'm cute, too. I didn't say anything. So the butler chose that convenient moment to come back through the French doors and see me holding her. Didn't seem to bother him. He was a tall, thin, silver man. Sixty or close to it, or a little past it. He had blue eyes as remote as eyes could be. His skin was smooth and bright, and he moved like a man with very sound muscles. He walked slowly across the floor towards us, and the girl jerked away from me. She flashed across the room to the foot of the stairs and went up them like a deer. She was gone before I could draw a long breath and let it out. The butler said tonelessly, The general will see you now, Mr. Marlowe. I pushed my lower jaw up off my chest and nodded at him. Who was that? Miss Carmen Sternwood, sir. You ought to wean her. She looks old enough. He looked at me with grave politeness and repeated what he had said. So that's the Duchess, I guess, from that previous quote. One of the things that I always love when I read that passage is it is one of the great moments of screenplay adaptation of all time. Uh, when Howard Hawks makes the movie, I'm going to be embarrassed if it's not Howard Hawks, it's Howard Hawks, of The Big Sleep uh, with Humphrey Bogart in the role of Philip Marlowe. Humphrey Bogart is not over six feet, and he's certainly not built like a linebacker. So instead of the first line being, you're very tall, are you? And him saying, I didn't try to be. She says, you're not very tall, are you? And he says, I try to be, which I think is a genius way of taking a perfectly good joke that would not work applied to Humphrey Bogart and flipping it to still get a good gag out of it. Anyway, that is Philip Marlowe meeting Carmen Sternwood, who did, I have to agree with Amy, probably pull that trigger for fun. See you next time. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.